Well, good morning again. Thank you, worship team, Greg, for leading us and company. We're grateful for all of our people who serve so well. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. You found us in a uh, beginning of a new series this morning called Arriving. This is a first of an eight-part series that will lead us up until Christmas time, and uh, I want to set this up this way. I remember when I was a child, uh, many of you knew that I grew up in Barbados and Grenada. was born in Grenada, grew up in Barbados, and many times we would travel back to the United States, which to me was like the promised land of all things fun and interesting to do as a child. And I would remember the anticipation of the travel of moving from where I was in Barbados to going to America. And I have already covered some of this with you over the years that I've been here about how big everything is here, how shiny it is, how many choices there are, and, and all that comes with that. Air conditioning, central air, I mean, that's amazing. Uh, gift of God <laughs> in the summer heat. And I would imagine that and anticipate that, and I would tell you that for months leading up to a trip back to the States, especially one that would be longer than just a couple of weeks, but talking up to a year sometimes, I would just anticipate um, so much. It's almost like I'd live in the future of where I could be, and yet I wasn't there yet. And so I would compare where I was living to where I could be, and there was a gap between living in Barbados and living in the United States in my mind of things that I couldn't get to do now, but I could get to do then. You know, simple things like I could eat as many Ritz crackers as I want to in about six months when we get there, right? I can have Peter Pan peanut butter anytime I want to when, when, I'm, when I'm there. And it seemed to revolve around food. I don't know why as much. But this is the reality of life in the United States was easier in my mind as a child and more fun. I could watch TV. They actually have TV that they broadcast like all day. They have cartoons that are current, you know, in America, and we don't have TV in Barbados. And there was this comparison of where I was to where I could be. And there was a gap that existed between where I was and where I could be. And in many ways, this metaphor of arriving anywhere is really the idea behind this series. And you all have experienced that. Whether it's a trip that you were planning, uh, an anniversary trip or a beach weekend with your friends or something with your fiancé or your girlfriend or boyfriend that you're planning a one-day event somewhere, you look forward to that and you begin to anticipate and think about, man, what will it be like when we arrive? Like, it'll be so much fun when we arrive and really you don't tend to think about the things that go badly when you arrive because here's the reality of arriving somewhere and here's what my parents knew and I learned as a child that all the stuff that I fought with my sister about here in Barbados actually came with us when we arrived in America because I came with us right because I'm wherever I go and I'm the problem and this is the reality of arriving that 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 we tend to look at what could be and we tend to only think about the good stuff of what is going to be you know only the good stuff of the trip that we're taking and only the good stuff of where we're planning to go but there's this gap between where we are and where we could be. And that metaphor of traveling carries across all our relationships, doesn't it? So if you're in the world right now where you're still in the dating world, right? You're in, you're in high school or, or college or, you know, you're 38 or whatever you are, you know, you're, you're in the dating world. You're, you're thinking about what could be and you're wondering, man, how is it that some people seem to have, like, all these dates and they seem to have all the attention and they just seem to kind of wherever they get it together and you kind of wish you could be somewhere else and there's a gap that exists between where you are now and where you wish you could be in our marriages if we're honest there are times when you look around and you say man how is it that those people seem so happily married i mean look at that husband he just is so caring for his wife like look at that without even having her need to tell him that she needed help he just knew it man wouldn't it be awesome if my husband was like that and wouldn't it be great if my wife was as gracious as, as she was and, and as hospitable as she I mean, wouldn't it be great if my wife was? And isn't that just kind of the way that things 
can work and there can be a gap in our minds that can come between what is and what we think is ideal. It happens in business, right? And, and it happens thinking, man, I'm in a job and the job's okay, but I'm not getting paid. My friends are getting paid this. Are you kidding me? And they pay overtime? Like, that's awesome. If only I could, and if only my boss would, I could make more money, and then I could do whatever, you know, if only, and I'm here, and I wish I could be over here. And we tend to always think there's something more that exists over there, and there's, there's this common pursuit that we have of there's got to be something more. And I've got to push more towards something. And honestly, even if we're honest about it, even impacts uh, you know, sickness and how we handle that. You know, the story that we heard this morning with Greg and Tanya. You know, wouldn't it be great, and some of you might even be thinking this morning, like, wouldn't it be great if I had the capability of handling something like this the way that I just heard that Greg and Tanya are trying to handle that? You may be looking at their life and thinking, how is it that they're able to respond in this way without their whole world falling apart? And wouldn't it be great if I could arrive at that point where I could do that? You think, man, how do I get to where I wish I could be? And there's a gap that exists between where we are and where we should be or could be or think we should be. And this whole issue of arriving or moving somewhere where we're not is really what's at issue in this Old Testament word called shalom. This idea of shalom is this idea of fullness, wholeness, and completeness. We translate it in English as peace, but it's too simple a word to translate, too simple a translation. It's deeper, broader, and fuller than that, and it's worth our study. So we're going to do that for eight weeks. Look at this concept, this biblical concept of shalom and what we were made for. So at the beginning of a series, I like to talk about um, what do I want for you. So you're coming here this morning, you're listening online later, and you're wondering, okay, uh, that's great that we can talk about arriving, but what's in it for me? All right, I mean, what am I going to get out of this series? How am I going to learn from this? And here's what I just want to tell you. Here's what my hope for you. All right, my hope for you in, the, in this series is first of all to discern what's good and right to hope for. And here's what I mean by that: that you can orient your life around the right things, not the wrong things. So that you can seek to arrive in the right places and not the wrong places. In other words, it may not be wisdom to simply look at your job from a financial standpoint and say, if only I make more money, then I'll arrive. You think we're smart enough to know that's just not wisdom. That's not the only thing to discern as you're trying to make decisions. Um, trying to arrive at the good and right things that God would have for you. What are the good and right ways that I should pursue um, satisfaction and wholeness in relationship with God and with each other and with, with one another, with my boss, with my coworkers, and my marriage, with my money. I want to discern the right and good ways right, to, to move forward. What should I aim for that's healthy and good? I want you to, to be able to discern what's good and right to hope for. And secondly, then I want you to uh, pursue that hope, and I want you to pursue that hope in the idea that you never give up that pursuit. So I want to help you orient to shalom, the idea of fullness of God, to encourage you not to give up and to say, keep going after what is good and right to go after. Keep seeking to kind of arrive, quote unquote, in this world, all right? That's what I'm hoping for. Now, today, today's an introduction, and today will feel like an introduction because at the end, I'm going to ask a question that I'm not going to answer because that's going to be for next week, all right? So if you leave this morning and you feel like this felt like an introduction, it's because it's an introduction, all right? And so my hope this morning is to convince you not to give up on what you were made for. My hope this morning is simply to convince you not to give up on what you were made for, all right? I'm going to explain that in a minute. But I hope by the time we get to the end, you might have a little bit of interest and say, okay, I was pretty close to, 
to giving up or you know, kind of punting on what I should do. And you know, I'm willing to give it a, a little bit more of a chance. I'm willing to think again about my relationships, my relationship with God, how I see money, how I see finances, how I see you know, sickness, health, and all that. I'm willing to give it a little bit more of a shot. So this is kind of my hope. Now, across the board, and here's what we know. Um, people in all times across um, continents, across generations, have always pursued advancement, haven't we? And this is why we are no longer in horse and buggies, generally speaking, all right? This is why some of you, when you have a choice of how you're going to go somewhere, you just don't, you know, hitch up the horse anymore by and large, okay? This is why we have roads that are paved and not just gravel and not just dirt and not just cutting down trees to get where we want to go. Why? Because people advance and they look and they say, you know, the fastest way to get from here to Philadelphia, it might be to hike through the woods or, you know, now that some other people have kind of laid the path, I might, whatever, I might get on... uh, you know, 76 and head down there. I might get on the train like I did this week, you know, and head down to Philadelphia in that way. But we're going to advance. Generally speaking, we know this. People will seek to advance and move the ball up the court, whatever they perceive progression to be. Whether that's medically, you know, someone created anesthesia. Aren't you grateful for that? You no longer have to just get knocked out by the doctor not to feel the pain. Someone decided, you know, it's a bad idea to feel that amount of pain when I have to go into a procedure. There's got to be a, and here it is, a better way to do this. And that concept of a better way is just replete throughout human history. I mean, across the board, there's got to be a better way to do whatever. And that better way, here's the question, isn't it interesting that that is true for all humanity across the board? And the question is, why is that? And here's what I think, that this is because God has wired into you and to me this concept in our hearts and in our minds and our soul that there's a better way. There's a better way. There's something that you're yearning for, something that you're aiming for, something. There's a better way to handle mm, this, that, and the other thing. So for some of you, that's why you're here this morning, if you're honest. You're struggling in your relationship with God or with your your marriage or in your singleness or whatever it is, and you're thinking, there's got to be a better way. I sure hope I hear something this morning that gives me a better way to face my week. You know, I'm parenting, and I'm struggling with my parenting. My grandkids are kind of off this way. My son, my daughter's just kind of whatever. And I hope that I get something to give me hope for the future because there's got to be a better way to handle what I'm doing. What you're talking about, what you're thinking about, is the language of arriving or the language of shalom. There has to be something better than what I have right now. Here's what one uh, commentator said about this, Frederick Buchner. He said, we carry inside us a vision of wholeness that we sense is our true home and it beckons us. Isn't that true? That we carry inside us. Sometimes we can't even verbalize it, but we feel it. We sense it. There's got to be something more and better than my true home and it beckons us. For some of you, that's going into the woods and shooting stuff, right? That's the true home, man. You just love it and you are, you're quiet. That's your zone and you love it and it, it's refreshing and life-giving to you to go do that. I, I'm not knocking that at all, just reality. We all kind of have those things that we think that's our true home and it kind of beckons us and calls us and kind of all of life orients around how can I get to my next hunting trip or how can I get to my next hobby that I have over here? How can I get to my next whatever trip that I have? Because it just kind of beckons us, this home that we think can create this space and fullness for us. In the Bible, in the Old Testament book of Numbers, there's this passage that has become very popular for people who are in in church for a long time, and you'll know it when I put it up here if you've been in church for a while. But it reflects this same reality that Buchner is talking about. Uh, In the the Old Testament, the people of Israel were uh, people who were guided and governed by a priesthood. 
And at one point in the book of Numbers, a man that you may have heard of by the name of Moses says to Aaron, Aaron, here's how I want you to bless the people. And so as the people come to you and they're trying to get a blessing from God, they're trying to figure out how do I relate to God and can I come to God through you? That was the way the priesthood functioned. How in the world can I get and give to the people the right blessing? You know, what does that mean to seek a blessing from God? And in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26, we read this very common blessing. And here's what Moses told Aaron to tell the people. He said, tell the people this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you what? Peace. All right. This is the ironic blessing, not ironic blessing, okay, to be clear. Ironic, A-A-R-O-N-I-C, from, from Aaron. That this is what Aaron was to give to the people. And it's a beautiful poem, essentially, and it has been repeated throughout history. It's on Hallmark cards everywhere, isn't it? It's on calendars, isn't it? That this carries the essence of what Moses is saying. This is what God is communicating to Moses, to Aaron, to the people. This is coming from God to us, saying, this is what you want, I know it, and this is what we will pray for you. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you what you want. That word is shalom. You want the shalom, you want the peace, and this is my prayer for you, that you will have that shalom and that peace. And this is what Aaron said all the way back in the time of Israel's um, priesthood and their nation back in Numbers chapter 6. So, with shalom, all right, as our background, here's the question. What in the world does shalom mean, all right? What does it mean when we talk about the word shalom? So I want to talk about it from a negative and positive standpoint and then make a couple more comments on it. First of all, when we talk about shalom, here's from a negative perspective. This guy named Walter Brueggemann, he said this, shalom bears tremendous freight, the freight of a dream of God that resists all our tendencies to division, hostility, fear, drivenness, and misery. So think about that with me for just a second. The freight of a dream of God, it bears a tremendous amount of freight, a freight of a dream of God that resists all of our tendencies toward division, hostility, fear, drivenness, and misery. And this is from a negative standpoint. In other words, this is what it is not. It's moving us out of what we tend to experience, and that is in our human endeavors, we tend to experience fear of one another. Therefore, I'll fight with you because I don't understand you. Or I'm afraid that you're going to try to conquer me, so I'll try to conquer you. I'm afraid that you're not looking out for my best interest, so somebody has to, and that has to be me, so I'm going to push against what you have for me. And I think that you're speaking about me negatively to somebody else, and so I'll speak about you this way. You know, I'm not going to care for you the way I'm going to care for me or my family. That all of the, the insecurities that fuel our behavior, all the fear that we experience, this is shalom, as Brueggemann says, is this um, dream of God that carries this great freight, this great weight that says there can be something better, that fights against all the hostility that we feel with one another, all the division that we experience together, all that um, misery and drivenness that can come. To put it in a positive way, another commentator, this guy, uh, Nicholas Volterstorff, I believe is the way you say that, he says this, Shalom is an inescapably relational term. It is the human being dwelling at peace in all of his or her relationships with God, with self, with fellows, and with nature. It's, it's true. It goes beyond just peace. It is an inescapably relational term. 
And one of the things we're going to talk about as we talk about having peace and fullness and shalom is that you and I cannot get away from the fact that shalom requires a breadth and depth of community life. That part of coming to faith in Jesus Christ is moving from selfish, single-centered living to community life together. And shalom is a part of that. It is an inescapably relational term. It is a matter of describing how we function in relationship to each other. There is no one who has shalom by themselves. It doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. You can't be a solitary shalom person. It's just not possible. Shalom requires a relationship to describe it. You have to be in relationship to God or one another or to, to be described as having peace. So it is inescapably relational. Now, to put it in the most simplest of ways, and I think we can all relate to this, shalom is everything being the way it's supposed to be. You've had those moments? Whether it's sitting at the cabin, you wake up in the morning, you see the sunrise over the, the far mountains, you get your coffee out there, and there's a nice little chill in the breeze, but not too cold. You're sitting on the rock or on the porch or whatever it might be, and it's quiet, and all is right with the world for a moment. Shalom. You just think, why can't I hold this thing forever? But you know, at the end of the day, I've got to go back and pay the bills and go to work and blah, 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 blah. But shalom, the way everything is supposed to be. Now, here's the thing. Here's what we know. It is next to impossible to keep those moments and carry them through life forever. We cannot live in the moments sitting on the rocking chair on the front porch in the mountains in the morning forever. You've got to carry on with responsibilities of life. And so here's what we do. We tend to give up this dream of shalom. We tend to give up that we can live in wholeness and peace. We tend to give up this idea, and we tend to compromise even with ourselves and say, yeah, I know I'm never going to live in wholeness and fullness and peace, so therefore I'm okay to live kind of this life that has some division in it, has some fighting in it, has some mm, angst in it. I'm okay to because everyone does that, and that's what I'm made to do. I mean, who doesn't live that way? My experience tells me something different, and here's what I want to tell you this morning, that you are made... For Shalom. You were designed and hardwired to pursue this peace, which is why people in all generations at all times have always said there's got to be something better. There has to be a better way to do marriage. There has to be a better way to do money. There has to be a better way to do church and religion and spirituality. There has to be a better way to do whatever. That this is hardwired into us. And here's my hope for you I don't want you ever to give up on that dream. All right. Some of you have, may have walked in this morning or you're listening to this later and you have given up on that dream of shalom in your marriage. You've given up on that dream of shalom in your singleness. You've given up on that dream of shalom in your relationships at school, in high school, in college, in middle school, whatever it is. You've given up on that dream even in your own life because you know who you are and you put your head down on the pillow at night and you know your own failures, your own sin, your own insecurities and you think, I'm never going to be the kind of person I wish I could be. It's just who I am. I need to learn to live with the stuff of my life and the sin that so easily entangles me as the author of Hebrews writes. And I just want to tell you, I want to encourage you, don't give up on what you were made for. And that is you were made for shalom. That the reason that God told Moses to tell Aaron to tell us essentially, that the blessing that we should look for is the blessing of God to turn his face on us, that he may give us peace is because that is what we need. And so this morning, above all other things, I want you to know, don't give up. Now, I want to talk about what to hope in, in the right way toward the end. But as we say, don't give up, I want to take you to a passage that's very familiar to, to many of you, if not all of you, and that is to the very beginning of your Bible. So if you have your Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn there to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. 
Genesis chapter 1. It is the very first book in this Bible. If you don't own a Bible, by the way, there's a Bible in the pew near you, and that is our gift to you. If you don't have one, um, you can take that baby home with you and read that um, and find a lot of good truth about who God is and who you are, truthfully, in, the, in those pages, all right? So Genesis chapter 1, <clears throat> beginning at verse 1, and I'm going to skip through some of this stuff to get to our, our main point here this morning, but Genesis 1 is a story of creation, um, a story of the beginning of, of time. And here's what we read, reading from the NIV, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So in this silence, in this emptiness, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was what? Good. And he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And so God made the vault and separated the water under the, the vault from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was what? Good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was what? And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And so God goes on to continue, to continue to create the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. Let's pick it up in verse 24. And God said... Let the man produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was what? Then God said in verse 26, Let us make man in our image and our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And very important section of scripture here. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Finally, in verse 31 of chapter 1, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. And as we think about creation, um, if you've been in church before, you've heard the, the distinction that you even just repeated to me, that things were good and then man was created and it all of a sudden became very good. And this is a, a definite distinction in, in quality of creation, that God created man and it was very good. Now here's the image. As you think about shalom and what, the, what shalom is about, what happens next in Genesis is really the picture of shalom. It is the image of shalom. It is not just a definition of words, but it is actually what shalom embodies is what happens next in chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, verse 2, 
God had finished the work he had been doing, and so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is a significant verse, a significant idea that, are you kidding me, that the God of the universe, right, who can create anything in a moment, all of a sudden decided, I am done. I can't make this any better than what I just made. Shalom. Let me sit back and enjoy the coffee. Let me dip my toes in the lapping waters of the sea that are coming up to me on my lounge chair. Let me read a good book and go away mentally somewhere else. Let me go hunt something in the woods and be at peace. I have finished. I can't add anything more. This is the God of the universe resting And there's no better picture of shalom than this picture. And so as you think of shalom throughout this entire series, this idea, this concept of the God of the universe coming to the end and saying, I finished it. It's all right and good. A guy by the name of uh, Helmut Thielich, and I like his name because it's Helmut. I mean, how many parents name their kids Helmut, all right? Maybe you wanted to name your son Helmut, but here's what Helmut Thielich wrote, and this is very uh, beautiful the way he describes it. He says of this section of scripture, he says, heaven and earth and all its hosts are now complete. And as the young world in all its dewy freshness exults in the surge of life, the whales romping in the sea, the trees blooming and fading, the stars circling in their courses, and man roaming through the Garden of Eden, the creator withdraws into a solemn celebrative stillness. On the border between the completed work of creation and the noisy alarms of history, there is a great silence, the resting hush of the Creator. And this describes shalom. And this describes what we were made for, the image of God marked on all of us that describes why we want something better than what we have right now, why we are insatiable in our appetite for progress. We always want something more, just what has been wired into us to seek what has been lost from that creation account. In this moment, there is no ISIS, there's no Ebola, there's no cancer, there's no debilitating diseases, there's no no war, there's no World War I, II, there's no Vietnam conflict, there's no Korean War, there's there's no civil war, There's, there's, there's not the conflict that is described and defined humanity to this point. There is peace and shalom in this moment. And here's our experience is to say, (laughs) we are so far from that that we cannot possibly be wired for that. And yet that's the very thing that we're wired for. We're wired by our creator to bear his image and we are wired for shalom and peace and wholeness and fullness. So the question is this question I ask a lot around here, and that is, so what? Uh, what do we do with something like this? I want to talk for a minute about the blessing of discontent. Um, think about where you're at right now and, and where I'm at. Um, there's something in you that makes you, if you're um, breathing, <laughs> makes you discontent with where you are right now. Not, not discontent where you're angry and you're ready to punch somebody all the time and you're just you know, impatient and you're ready to, to yell at people. It makes you discontent... Uh, was saying, 
few of you will ever say, I have arrived to the point where I can't grow anymore. You know, I, I can't get any closer to God. I can't get any closer to my, my closest relationships. I can't make any more, you know, adjustments in my life. I just arrived. You know, we all know, just intuitively, we all know that there's room for us to grow. And so there's this discontent just under the surface that we have, and it can be a blessing. Uh, here's what Dan, Dan Allender has to say uh, about it. He said this, and I love the way he put it. I really, really love this quote here. He said, if we're fully at home in our situation, then we will not ponder a better tomorrow. Discontent is the mother of invention. Discontent is holy when it compels us to dream of redemption. All good grows out of a desire to see the future shaped from the refuse of the present. There's a lot that he says in there. If we're fully at home in our situation, we will not ponder a better tomorrow. And isn't that a blessing? Discontent, not familiarity, is the mother of invention. Discontent is holy when it compels us to dream of redemption. All good grows out of a desire to see the future shaped from the refuse of the present. Discontent is holy when it causes us to think of redemption. So in other words, you're in a bad relationship right now. It's not going well and you know that things are not working right. Discontent says, I need to think of how this will be redeemed. How does this get better? And discontent can be holy when it causes you to change a behavior that is unhealthy into one that is healthy, into one that moves toward redemption and moves toward hope. That's what discontent can do. It's that blessing that takes the refuse or the garbage or the junk of the present and moves you into a future that is different. It is the blessing of being discontent, and it is the call, the beckon of shalom, of fullness. It says, you were not made for this. You were not made for an unhealthy relationship. That should not be normal. You should not accept that. That's not what you were made for. You weren't made, and let's just talk about this for a minute either. You weren't even made for sickness, all right? Now, that's out of your control, but you were made for that. You can't change that like you can change some other things, but there's some redemption then in how I respond to that. If I'm not made for this, I need to turn to my God and pull on him and ask him for support and strength to say, I'm not made for this. This wholeness and fullness is what I'm made for. How do I process this? And it moves us from fear to faith. This is what Allender is saying, that we are not made for this, and this idea of turning from where we are to what could be is this pull of redemption, all right? So, number one, there's this blessing of discontent. Number two, I'm going to channel my inner Jimmy Valvano. You guys know that guy, Jimmy V? Yep, two of you do. Awesome. All right. Jimmy V. All right, Jimmy Valvano, this guy who... um, was dying of cancer, ultimately, was his story too, all right? So Jimmy Valvano, um, he would get up, I think it was, his most famous event was an ESPYs award um, ceremony, um, sports world, uh, giving, giving sports awards for people. He gets up and he gives this long speech, uh, and there was only supposed to be a couple minutes, and he ended up blowing through the, the prompts, and you know, they, they said, you have 30 seconds to go, and he said, these guys back there say I have 30 seconds. Like, I really care about what they have to say. And he keeps on going to talk about that. And one of the things he says is don't ever give up. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. And why? You know, don't ever give up. Because if you give up, you've given up the hope of what could be your future. And in this same way, this is the reality. For most of us, we've, we've tried to change habits and we fall back into them. Can you relate to that? You've tried to make your life better, but you fall back into the same habits that have defined you to this point. And so somewhere along the line, you just stop hoping that you can actually change, right? Somewhere along the line, you stop hoping that you'll be that close to God because you've tried to do daily devotions for 25 years and it hasn't worked for you. Somewhere along the line, you stop thinking that you can kick the habit of pornography because you've never been able to do that yet, and you think, I'm just going to fall back into that. 
Somewhere along the line, you think, my family has always lost their temper. I lose my temper. My kids will probably lose their temper, whatever. We'll just make the best of it. And I can't really change that. Some of you think, well, that's just the way that our family does it, just the way that I am. There's habits that are just me, and I don't think as much as I've tried to change them, I haven't been successful, so it's just going to be the way it is. And so in other words, I have to then accept something less than fullness, something less than wholeness for my life. I'm just saying don't ever give up because you weren't made for that. That may not be your experience, right? You may have had failed experiences, but I'm just telling you, biblically speaking, you were not made for anything less than shalom. You were not made for anything less than wholeness, fullness, and completeness. And you may say, but that's not my experience, and I may not disagree with you, but I'm just saying that may not be your future. That this discontent can be a blessing to you, that can take the refuse and the junk of the present and turn it to a future that can be better because you were made for more than brokenness. You are made for more than this division that you experience. You're made for a future. You're made for wholeness and shalom. This is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Now, with that being said, this is very, very important. As you think about not giving up, this is so important. We cannot create shalom. When I say don't give up, you've got to hear this, please. Don't give up, but also know this. You and I do not have the strength to create shalom. You and I do not have the ability to bring control to a chaotic world. I mean, let's just talk, my friend Greg, for a minute. We were talking 20 minutes ago up here, whatever it was. So Greg and I are talking about um, cancer in his family now, right? Uh, Greg cannot, and you know it and he knows it, cannot bring about shalom in his family, right? I mean, he just can't bring about that fullness. He doesn't have the ability to control what's going on. We know that. He can't do that. As much as he wants to lead and serve his family, he is not God. And so he wants to move to fullness, wants to move to completeness, but he doesn't have the strength or ability to do so. And, and this principle applies to everything. As much as I want to say to you, don't give up, here's what's important. Don't give up, but also don't hope too much in yourself. (laughs) Move that hope to the God who gives shalom. And here's this principle, that God is the one who gives the gift of shalom. Everywhere we see shalom in the scriptures, it is a gift of God to us. It is not created by our ability to manipulate circumstances to bring shalom to us. That is so important. A new job will not bring you shalom, right? A new relationship will not bring you peace. A new level of income, a new family, you can't even get rid of your family anyway. Don't even try it. They're going to follow you around, all right? You can't manipulate enough stuff in your life to get yourself to shalom. It doesn't work. That God is the one, and biblically speaking, God is the one who gifts to you, who gives to you peace. And this is the Aaronic blessing in Numbers chapter 6, that you may be blessed, that the people of Israel may be blessed, that God will make his face shine on you, and in the middle of all the stuff that's chaos, that he will give you peace. So here's the struggle. We are over here thinking, I wish I could be over here. And then we think the only way to get to here to here is for me to change a few things in my life, and then there we go, we're going to get it better. And yes, there may be room for you to grow in habits and disciplines and all that. I'm not saying that's not true. There may be some things you can do, yes. But ultimately, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, God is the one who gifts shalom to us. And I just want to tell you, don't ever give up on that dream. 
that the, it's, shalom is the dream, the, the freight of God coming to eliminate the division, the worry, the fear, the hostility that exists between us. It's this audacious dream of God that there can be fullness and wholeness in relationship with us as a people and that we shouldn't accept any less than that. And even though our experience says, boy, I don't know if that can happen, the reality is we are made in an image of God. And my hope for you is to lift your eyes as we begin the series, to lift your eyes again to say there can be hope beyond what you currently experience. And that hope is not based on your ability to manipulate circumstances, to make a better life, because you and I do not have the strength to control cancer. You and I do not have the ability to stop ISIS. You and I do not have the ability to control Ebola right now where we are. This, these things beyond our ability go to our God. And this is why in Numbers chapter 6, God says to Moses, to Aaron, to us, here's the blessing I want you to give to the people. That as they think about the stresses of their life, as they think about the junk that they're in, that they remember this. They appeal to their God. May his face shine upon you. And may he be the one who gives you what you don't have. May he give you peace and wholeness. Now the question is, how do I get there? How do I get there? This is an introduction. Come next week and we're going to talk about some things that have gone wrong in our world. But this is the introduction of where we begin. That our God has called us, wired us, and moved us to wholeness and fullness. And don't ever give up on that dream, no matter your experience. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the the hope of a future that is different than the present. We thank you for the wiring in us that you've created us for peace, for shalom, for fullness, for wholeness, for health, for life. And in all of that, Father, we admit that we are unable to control life. We do not have the ability to bring about shalom on our own. We do not have the strength to do this. And so we want to lean into you and not give up hope, not give up on a future, not give up on a marriage, not give up on a relationship, not take the easy way out in our job, not take the easy way out in our family, not take the easy way out by not having the conversation or or not changing the habit or not confessing or whatever we need to do. We don't want to take the easy way out. We want to keep hoping. There is a future in which the present stuff of my life that I'm discontent about can be turned redemptively into greater fullness, to greater hope. So Father, we stand before you now and we recognize that you are a strong, sovereign and powerful God. Give us strength and wisdom to do what we know we need to do. In Jesus' name we pray.